0: Welcome everybody. Good to have you back on the podcast. We were at the National NBA Conference in San Diego last week. It was over-the-top good. I was just talking to Alice about the Empower event on Saturday and how absolutely inspirational it was and how excellent it was. Lisa Sun's story was so good and just was riveting with no notes and just poured out her life story in a way that had us all laughing and crying. Uh, they say, what is a, a good book or a good a movie? It has you laughing and crying with some regularity. Well, it absolutely worked. So it was good. Great conference and I uh, wish you all could have been there. I was really debating whether or not to go. Honestly, I was looking at it. seemed like it was a vast majority of vendors that were going to be there. But I ended up going and the NBA met their quota. It was well attended all the way through and the meetings were Kind of some of the overtop meetings I've had. So it was really, really good. One of the meetings I did was I caught up with Michael Frattentoni and we talked about his economic forecast. And we also got in some other really interesting dialogue and I recorded it. And that's going to be our hot topic segment today. So, be sure to stay tuned all the way through to the Hot Topics segment. If you're listening on a downloaded basis, make sure you move over to that one after this podcast. Again, this podcast is created by mortgage professionals. It is for mortgage professionals. And we're so grateful to have you as our listener in our commitment to bring you timely information in an audio format that you can listen to anytime and anywhere. And what better time to be listening to this podcast when we just get back from the conference? I'm going to share with you some of the things that we heard a lot of that I thought was real interesting, but we'll do that a little bit later in the podcast. So some of the things that leaped out at me, Malcolm Gladwell. Oh my gosh. Listening to him was so good. There were a number of speakers that were just outstanding, but guess what he said? I'll share this before we move on. But what was really interesting, he said that when he was in D.C., he rode the train or the subway, and then when he was in New York, he rode the train. He said, for the longest time, everyone would be holding a book or something and we're reading. But in recent years, that has shifted to the vast majority of people now are listening to this what? Podcasts. So we saw people not holding papers or books, and they're listening. And he's going, I got to ask you. So we started asking people, Can I, do you mind if i ask you what you're listening to? And he goes, it, a podcast. It's a really good podcast. It's about this, or I have an interest about that. And he realized if he as a writer wants to stay relevant, he has to go to where the audience is. And he says, if they're doing podcasts, I need to start doing podcasts. I don't believe books are dead, neither do I. I agree with him on that. But to draw them to my books, I need to do a podcast. So he has launched podcast. It is the number one podcast, I believe, in the world. And you have to pay four ninety-five a month to listen to it. It is so good. So anyway, we had a great time there. So podcasts. Our ruling. <laughs> and we're so thrilled to have you as our listener here listening to this one. Well, thank you to the Industry Syndicate. They do a great job of promoting our podcast as well as a lot of others. Go check out industry syndicate.com to learn more. Again, shout out to the MBA for all that they do for our industry. It was so good. Be sure to sign up for the Mortgage Action Alliance app, Open Doors Foundation. Oh, my gosh. We're going to go have a podcast so we get closer to the holidays talking about the Open Doors Foundation or what they do for families who have children that were going through some real health issues. And as a result of those health issues, they had to stop working or they had to go be at the hospital full time. If you have a young kid and then it's in the hospital with a terminal disease, yeah, you're not going to be working. You're going to be at the hospital. You want to be there for every moment of everything as it turns. So they talked about that. And that's what Open Doors does. It helps families going through particularly difficult circumstances in their lives. To keep them in their homes keep their mortgage payments current again another one's inspirational things also want to say big shout out to finaster so grateful to have them as a sponsor their mortgage bot solution is really powerful when it comes to receiving managing storing and retrieving data as well as delivering loans and doing so through electronic documents they got a great paperless environment that they've created also lenders one got to see justin demolia and everyone there from lenders one so grateful as well as the mortgage collaborative went to their party had a great time think David Kittle and the team are there at Mortgage Collaborative. Uh, both of these co-ops are doing really, really well. encourage you to check them out. More and more lenders are becoming members of both of them, which we are. And I like to think it's because they've heard that here. are looking at lending and my recommendation to become a member of both. Also, there's the Community Mortgage Lenders Association. Grateful for their sponsorship as well as Incelerate. Josh Friend created some great technology that's revolutionizing how lenders interact, communicate, engage with borrowers, before, during, and after funding, all the way through. Great power experience. We talk about uh, user experience, UX, and he's got it down with what he's doing. Check out the podcast we did with him back in June 21st. We have recorded a number of podcasts with Josh, and I encourage mm-hmm. you to check those out. Also, Knowledge Juice, Ken Perry. Ken and I are part of a mastermind group together called 7A, and we had a reception hall. My gosh, Ken is so talented and his team. The creativity that goes into training. So it's called edudatement. Make it educating but entertaining. Bring the two together. So looking for help and creativity, check out knowledgegroup.com. Also Mobility MMI, the mortgage market intelligence platform, as well as Modix. Both of these are companies do similar things and they're a good complement to each other. We recommend you have a subscription license with both of these entities, Modix and Mobility MMI, to do recruiting. Also, SnapDocs is our newest sponsor. I want to say a special thank you to Rob, left Alice, Alan, Matt, and... Jack for their participation in the podcast. I don't know if Jack's going to be joining us today or not, but always fun to have him join in uh, with us. Welcome, everybody, to the Hot Topic segment of the It on Lending Podcast. If you're listening on a downloaded basis, we just finished up the weekly mortgage update. encourage you to go back and listen to that podcast if you have not already done so. Gave a lot of updates from the conference. I think you're going to enjoy this interview, so let's get on with it.
1: We're sitting here with Mike Frantoni, who gave an excellent presentation along the marina, and... Joel Kong, yes, an excellent presentation on Sunday. Why did we move the format to Sunday? Because you've always done it on Tuesdays, Mike.
2: So we've actually tried that format at our commercial conference for the last couple of years where we'll give the economic outlook presentation at the beginning of the meeting. And I think a lot of members find it really helpful because then, whether they're in private meetings or at later panel sessions, they can sort of set in the table about what the market's going to look like in the year ahead. So. We're trying it out here. The feedback we've gotten is positive with respect to the timing.
1: Well, it makes sense because all our conversations are then framed around what you've Presented and where we need to refocus, we're quoting back. So that's something that's very, very good. Let's talk a little bit about some of the highlights of what you presented there that you think are notable, some changes that you've made to your forecast.
2: Yeah, sure thing. So I would say, first on the macro front, we've been anticipating that mortgage rates are going to rise. So inflation has been running a little hotter than many people had anticipated. And I think that's going to persist longer than people had thought. You couple that with a job market that is really strengthening. We particularly look at the speed with which the unemployment rates dropped. And then the Fed is beginning to change their tune a little bit. Right. So expect they're going to begin tapering their asset purchases and probably a liftoff in short-term rates in end of 2022. So we move that in.
1: But so the rates are still at historical lows. So when you look at the projections, your projections are actually really good and while there's certainly a drop-off in the refinances and all the predictable areas you look at the overall volume and the overall parts of the industry it's very favorable Michael would you agree
2: that's right so it's all in context right we're coming from a 2020 which is a 4.1 trillion dollar market this year we think will be 3.8 next year we think is 2.6 if you look at that 2.6 to your point that is a strong year but the change really really matters and we're seeing an expectation of a very sharp fall off in refi but on the other hand we're looking for a record purchase market year both in 2022 and going even higher in 2023 so for those lenders that are already positioned to prosper during a strong purchase market it's going to feel pretty good i think yeah it's
1: very good when you look at the recent discussions that we've heard from the GSEs here what are you thinking about how that might affect aspects about our originations
2: so obviously the pspa changes yep. that went in january really crimping the investor second home market concerns about loans that might have some layered risks and then the potential change to yes. deliver the cash window and i think both the nature of that decision and the speed with which they are implemented not terribly transparent i think people were really pretty nervous there for a bit so with the change in leadership at fhfa They removed those constraints from the PSPAs. And it seems like it's a much more rational way to be going about these kinds of decisions. So Acting Director Thompson was here, and she made the point a number of times that they're a supervisor for – they're the regulator for the GSE. So they're going to weigh in if they think there are undue concentrations in some of these areas, but they're just not going to do it in a way that's going to disrupt the market. So I think this is a real positive change for the industry. Yeah.
1: I really enjoyed Secretary Fudge's comments. That was as inspirational as it was informational.
2: Any takeaways that you pulled from that? So i couple her comments. Our new chair, Christy yes. Furco, and our outgoing chair, Susan Stewart. We're at a moment in time where everybody is agreed and focused on the racial homeownership gap and the need to make changes, right? This is something that has been a challenge for decades, but it's just so different now to see that all the forces, private industry, government, the regulators, this is not a partisan or a political issue. This is something that we need to change and acting director Thompson said we're going to change it in a way that it's sustainable. There's no quick fix here, right? But there's ways to reach out and try to increase accessibility so we can get more homeowners in this country, which again, broad agreement that that is a positive. It's a way to build wealth. So I agree. Secretary Fudge's comments were very inspirational along those lines. And it's just so wonderful to see that it's aligned with where our new chairman is, right? That, again, it's this industry and government agreeing what the goals are. We may disagree about how you get there, but it's nice to be aligned on the goals.
1: When you're looking at the economic forecast and housing, you talk about the big headwinds as far as inventory. When we spoke a couple of years ago, you talked about the labor and the shortage of material in the building industry. Are we still seeing the same dynamics, Mike? Or are we seeing new dynamics that we should be considering on the housing inventory, especially the new housing sector?
2: Great questions. Everyone has been pointing to the extraordinarily wrap up and rapid growth in home prices that we've seen, 19% year on year. And that's just being driven by the supply shortage. We don't have enough homes. And as you said, for the last decade, builders have talked about their challenges getting enough skilled labor, their challenges finding land to build on, their challenges with respect to zoning regulations and how that impinge their ability to react quickly to demand. The pandemic just made that worse. Mm -hmm. And then add on, you hear about supply chain constraints across the economy. The 60 ships anchored off the LA port, unable to unload. That has a direct impact on housing as well. We saw lumber prices spike last year, but it's well beyond lumber. It's every input to a builder's production. There were stories last year about builders unable to put appliances in their new homes. So mm-hmm. somebody occupying their home without a refrigerator, right? And heading out to Costco or Home Depot and having to buy their own once that shipment came in. But it was interesting, I've been talking to some builder affiliated lenders at the conference here and they say it is just whackable, right? You think you solve the lumber problem and then you can't get windows. You got windows, you can't get pipes. You get pipes, you're having trouble with appliances again, right? It's just there is such a a shortage of truck drivers and workers at the ports, and the railroads are having challenges. This is, again, one of those reasons why we think this inflation is going to stick around for a little longer than people had thought. Because uh, when I talk to my peers outside of our industry, they're just not seeing this go on away quickly. We think middle of next year, the benefit of prices rising is. That spurs a little more production and a little more capacity building in every sector of the economy. And that'll be true in home building as well. So we'll get there, but our forecast is next couple of years, home building continues to grow. Because of where they're building, they're really building more move-up homes. Right. And you need people leaving those entry level homes that opens up that inventory for those first time buyers. So It's a bit of a virtuous circle that we haven't quite seen get started yet, but that's our hope.
1: I want to get over to geographics and then demographics. So you do a great job at the NBA looking at the geographical areas of the country. Any insights that you have on where you're saying what markets are going to be hot and what's are probably not so much?
2: so the hottest part of the country right now is the mountain west right mm-hmm. so idaho over the past 12 months home price is growing 37 percent wow. right it is for everyone in this industry reminiscent in terms of those growth rates of what we saw in a las vegas or a phoenix a dozen years ago but again the situation is so different right now these are homeowners looking to buy a home. If you talk to residents in Idaho, they'll tell you there are a lot of California license plates there, right? And to go from a $600,000 home in parts of California to a $300,000 home in Idaho. It doesn't look that expensive, even mm. though the home price growth rate is extraordinary. It might also lead to a little bit of a tension between a longtime mm. resident there who thought they were looking for a $300,000 home, and now it's three fifty, right? right? Or whatever have you. So I think that's the hottest part of the market, and it is people leaving the most expensive coastal markets, moving to these relatively more affordable markets in the Mountain west A weak market, it's tough to find right now. Every part of the country is growing at double digits. But places like the Midwest or the Southeast, because they're relatively more easy to build, are always going to see less rapid appreciation than in those places where it's tougher to rapidly put up new inventory.
1: When you're talking about people leaving California, people leaving Washington State, we have a lot of family in Washington State just done with that, my brother had surgery scheduled, and because of Governor Ensley absolutely holding firm, which happened this week, a lot of hospital workers were fired that chose not to do that. My brother's surgery got delayed, and he needs serious back surgery. It's causing him to say, I'm selling my home in Bellevue, and I'm going to move to Idaho, which you were just talking about. How much are we going to continue to see politics in and cause for changes in economics here and there. I mean, how about you tracking that, Mike?
2: I mean, that's a huge question. I don't know that I've (laughs) got that part figured out. I'll Uh, I'll rely on Bill Kilmer to do our political forecasting. But whether it's decisions through the pandemic, whether it's decisions about tax rates at the state and local Mm -hmm. level, whether it's decisions about... Of regulation and business friendliness. Where I live, there's a pretty sharp divide between folks that live in Maryland, D.C., and Virginia because they have sort of different buckets of those choices, right? right. You, you get some services, you get some taxes, you get some parks, you get some amenities, and you got to choose sort of what that balance is. It's always going to be the case that someone who's renting is going to be a, a little bit more mobile than a homeowner. Right. Homeowning is a decision to be uh, a little bit less mobile in most cases. But I think the pandemic, we were just listening to Malcolm Gladwell, right? It kind of shakes up your perceptions of the world. And And, uh, probably the place where that's most important in this conversation is, are people gonna go back to the office full-time or not? I, I don't think we know the answer to that yet, but if you're only gonna be in the office a couple of days a week, as opposed to five, that really changes what you might be willing to do in terms of a commute right Mm -hmm. because maybe you have a total commute time and if you're putting that in two days you can live a lot further away from the office Mm -hmm. and talking to some lenders here there you know some have said well we're not going to have a central location, right? We're fine being distributed, particularly for our, our more senior people. And so I think this is going to take years to resolve.
1: Which really gets us into demographics. When you start looking at preferences, you start looking at what millennials prefer. And Malcolm brought up a really good point the disadvantaged, the ones that are getting disadvantaged by this remote work are those that are coming up and not having the advantage of sitting as he did with Bob Woodward, watching Bob Woodward. That was so fascinating. What are you talking about? He learned more. Or sitting across from him. And we need to have this transfer of knowledge. So I, I think there's such a strong argument to go back to work, but there's such a strong preference, especially when you look at millennials and their need and desire for mobility. So let's talk about the first-time home buyer, the millennials, the Gen Zers that are coming into the market. Are we going to continue to see the headwinds for them getting into first-time home ownership? And what's your thoughts?
2: I think anybody who's ever seen me give a presentation, they've seen a slide that I love to show, which is just the age distribution of the U.S. population. There's 4.7 million 30-year-olds in U.S. right now peak first-time home uh, ownership is 32 or 33 right so that really is what's driving our forecast for these record purchase volumes next couple of years you're relying upon that huge group of potential first-time home buyers if you look at data on existing home sales last year we were sort of low 30s percent were first-time buyers we're down to about 29 percent right and I attribute that primarily to this run-up in home prices because if you're a current owner and home prices increase at 19% per year, yeah, that's going to make your next home more expensive, but you're going to have some cash to do it with because you have that built-up equity in your current home. Getting that first-time buyer in, though, that's the trick, right? And we're going to need FHA and VA and... Low down payment programs in the conventional sector, we're going to need them to be a little more expansive to be able to allow these first-time buyers in. You also need some of the sensible changes to the credit underwriting that we've seen of treatment of that student loan debt, right? That is so critical in these first-time homebuyer age groups. FHA thankfully, came around to looking at that the same way the GSEs do. I think that's going to be impactful. You might also see a lot of conversation in the hallways here of you might see some changes to the loan level price adjustments that the GSEs are charging that particularly are impacting those low down payment first-time homebuyers. You might see a change in the mortgage insurance premium for FHA. These things are going to be impactful. So I guess that's the last point I would make tying it to earlier in the conversation is also recognizing that millennials, Gen Zers, it's a more racially, ethnically Mm -hmm. diverse group than prior generations. And so a lot of the work we're doing to address the racial home ownership gap are going to be very impactful for these first-time buyers. What are
1: the things that you're seeing as behavioral changes in how we need to change how we reach the millennial, connect with them? There's some great stories, one of which is when I was flying into Austin recently, sat next to a millennial couple buying their first home. They owned a tech company. They're moving from Boston. They selected three cities to which they were going to move their business. And they were flying in and I presumed that they had mentioned, I overheard them say, we had just bought our home, can't wait to see our new home. I assumed that they had been there multiple times. Turned out they had not. They did everything through Zillow, looking at the areas, selecting the home they want. They hired an Uber driver to drive around through the neighborhoods. And then look at that, selected home. They bought and closed a home and had never been to our city. They were flying in for the first time as a new homeowner in a community they'd never set foot in. They did everything virtually. Any other insights that you are finding in your research on what we can anticipate? How do we need to change our origination models and how we're connecting with them, Mike?
2: Well, I mean, that's a fantastic example. I think directionally, that's the way we're headed, right? There's more and more that can be done digitally. There's more and more that can be done off-site. There's more and more that can be done in advance. Putting on my hat, I also oversee our industry technology right. group, right? And just looking at sort of where industry technology has been focused over the past decade or so, right? Coming out of the last crisis, you have the Dodd-Frank Act. So much of it was around regulatory compliance. Then you had the Time Rocket, others really making a push to improve the experience for the borrower and I think that's been critical right you have so many of these technology companies working on that application process being able to do it anywhere are you going to do it through your phone do it through your computer is it going to be a situation where it's going to be rare where people are literally sitting down with the loan officer going forward but at the same time everything I hear is there's a point in the process where somebody recognizes oh my god I'm taking on four hundred thousand dollars in debt over 30 years I want to talk to somebody. Yeah. Right, So there always is going to need to be that escape valve, and it may not be in person, it's likely to be by phone, right? Yeah. Or by text. Right, yeah. I, I need to understand how this part of it operates. And any of us who've been there, you remember that first time you signed it and you see that cumulative interest over the life of the law, you're like, oh my goodness. What am I taking out? I mean, I'm going to have to be working the rest of my life, and it comes to home. And so I think it's going to be a reworking of the process, right? There's going to be fantastic technology from all kinds of providers at the front end to make the process better. You won't need what was sort of the challenge of the the borrower confused about where they were in the process, because it's right in front of them, right? That sort of monitor of where, that's I think table stakes. If a lender's not providing that, they're they're behind now. I think sort of the next stage of it, which is gonna be really interesting, is the industry struggled with this for decades. How do you make the closing experience better? Yes. It is such a challenge and being that stack of paper, are there ways to get more of that done in advance? Are there ways to make the whole process a little bit less intimidating? but still fully informing the borrower. And we've had our disagreements with the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, but I, I think this would be an area where their, their heart's in the right place. To the Malcolm Gladwell mm-hmm. discussion, how do you make people aware of the information they're receiving in a way that they can digest it and not make false assumptions about what they're signing up for or what that disclosure means, right? That's, there's a lot of work to do there, and it's, it's consumer education, it's regulation, it's lenders and technology providers yeah, you know, working together to improve that experience. But I think that's sort of the big knot right now. That, that's a tough one.
1: I just was reading an article yesterday that Inman published, and it was a really caught my attention. The headlines is: We the realtors are not going away. They're always going to need us. Any insights in how technology, Zill, all those new online searches? We talked about the story of these people that I met on the airplane flying in, found and bought their home. What are your thoughts on the loan officer and the realtor? go back to Malcolm Gadwell's book, The Tipping Point. Are we at a tipping point or do you anticipate one? So
2: I think it's going to be gradual. It's it's going to be evolutionary. I said sort of the nature of the transaction. You want somebody on the loan officer side who's got the expertise to explain to you what your options are and explain to you how the process is going to work. So really that advisory role, I think that's going to stick with you, less the I'm going to take your information down because that's not the best way to do it anyway right? On the real estate agent side, similarly, um, negotiating a transaction for the largest purchase of your life. Again, I think most people want somebody on their side for that, right? And the exact nature of that relationship, that may change. But I I think there's always going to be a person there. There's the need to have that. The relationship between those two parties, that's always an an interesting dance, right? And I think that will continue to evolve, but I think both players are going to have a role. I think it's going to be interesting to see, though. We talked to Marina. Our data is pretty clear. We had the exceptional twenty 2020 twenty and twenty one experience where loan officer productivity got higher. But for decades, we've been at about four closed loans per month for a loan officer, and mm-hmm. it just doesn't move. Yeah, right. Moves. We throw all this technology at it. We do process redesign. We do. And it's about four loans per month and going back to the levels of volume we're thinking about for 22 and 23 i'm not going to be shocked if we're there that's the key right can you get this extraordinarily talented individual to get more volume through them right and so some of that combination of technology process design changing our expectation of sort of what that loan officer is doing they have this critical role but how do you get that really important piece of the process to be more productive.
1: Yeah. Makes me almost wonder when you think about that Four loans is an average, I agree with you. It's been like that. I've been in this industry for 47 years. You look at it it just doesn't change over the years. I wonder if that's a factor of someone has made enough money and they then want to move on, enjoy the other things we're talking about millennials. They love traveling. And I wonder if that's a factor and we frustrate ourselves trying to get them to do more when, Enough's enough. And they want to enjoy the life. They have a better work-life balance than most of, at least my age, in my 70s. I've struggled with a work-life
2: balance. Your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I think whether it's loan officer compensation or other, that comes up from time to time. It's a challenge. And again, Marina's been pointing this out, and she had a chart in in our presentation here. You look at the composition of the expenses to originate a loan, it's primarily sales expense, mm-hmm. right? So it'll be interesting to see if that evolves in a way to one sort of change the mix of inputs into a loan origination process, more technology, a little bit less human, and also getting more productivity out of those folks. It's obviously a dicey subject, right? right? Because everybody who is an owner of a company wants those top producers and probably not the best way to retain them by, by messing too much with the compensation. compensation system. Yeah, yeah that's such, <laughs> such a good
1: point. It really comes down to a lot, is about leadership. And I want to thank you for the leadership you bring to our industry. I watched your presentation, I watched you over the years, and I said to you when we ran to each other the other day after your presentation, there's something about the way you're presenting. You're doing such an excellent job, Mike, and I want to say thank you. The whole MBA team, there just seems like there's a real awareness of the soul and how you guys are touching and speaking to people. So I want to say thank you so much for taking a few minutes to be with me here at the conference and giving your thoughts. We could go on and on and on. There's so many insights. I need to get you back on here again quickly, both you and Marina, but I want to thank you so much.
0: Much.
2: Thank you, David. Really appreciate it. Joel did such a great job up there
0: on the stage with Mike and Marina. So we're going to get Joel to come on the podcast as well. We're going to be focusing on economics. I'm looking at a number of interviews we have scheduled up with some chief economists, that are part of the industry. It'll be very interesting. Next week, be sure to come back. Of course, we have so many loyal listeners. And again, thank you again to all of you, as we say in Texas, all you all for stopping by and introducing yourselves and in, and expressing your gratitude for this podcast. We're grateful to. a part of the way you get information and keep you up to date. Again, our goal is to bring you timely information in an audio format (laughs) that you can listen to anytime, anywhere, as we say at the beginning of the podcast. Appreciate you all so much. special thank you goes out to our sponsors, Finastra. The Community Mortgage Lenders Association of America, the MBA, Lenders One, Accelerate Mobility MMI, as well as Modex, the MBA, Knowledge Cube, the Mortgage Collaborative, and our newest sponsor, Snapdoc. Soon to be falling out of the newest sponsor category because we're going to have Simple Nexus as a sponsor here shortly. So, very excited to have you listening, folks. We're grateful for our sponsors, but we're so amazingly grateful to our listeners. And it's you that has made this podcast so widely listened to it. We're thankful for each and every one of our listeners. Have a great week, everybody. Look forward to seeing you back here next week. You've been listening to Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update with your host, David Lickin of Transformational Mortgage Solutions. Join us next week and thanks for listening.